0: keep it fresh the different parts of the bible we slogged our way through Colossians over a few weeks and then what did we do last week something else one of the psalms and I don't know why I ended up here in Isaiah 8 but it's one of those passages that over the years um, Certain parts of it echo in my mind um, the phrase to the law and to the testimony uh, comes out of this passage. But you're familiar with it probably because in uh, chapter eight is the uh, chapter eight, chapter seven, um, behold a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we know this portion of Isaiah. But before we go any further, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're thankful. Give us understanding and help in our walks before you. In your son's name, amen. Okay, uh, that kind of... Isaiah's having babies. He and the missus, the, the misses the Isaiah, are uh, naming kids prophetic names. Emmanuel being one of them. Chapter 8, which is always one of my favorite... Uh, names in the Bible Um, take a large tablet, verse 1 and write upon it in common characters belonging to Malershaler Hashbaz that's one of his kids you know, Jiro notwithstanding um, Malershaler Hashbaz sort of wins in the long run because the name meant something like Emmanuel meant God with us Malershaler Hashbaz meant the spoil speeds, the prey, hastes. So, you know, odd home. Isaiah's household, probably odd place. Weird name kids that had meaning. And he's looking forward to all these things he's prophesying, some as far away as the Christ, some as not so far away as the invasion of Assyria. But whatever the case... You know, we were looking, I was looking at verse 9 of chapter 8, which is where your notes uh, begin. And it says, Be broken, you peoples, and be dismayed. Give ear, all you far countries. Gird yourselves and be dismayed. Gird yourselves and be dismayed. Take counsel together, but it will come to naught. Speak a word but it will not stand, for God is with us. Now what's interesting about that, look at that, be dismayed, be dismayed, be dismayed, make a plan, too bad for you, God is with us. Well, the interesting thing is, oddly enough, even though chapter 8, verse 8 says, And it will sweep onto Judah, and will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and will outspread wings, will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And in two verses he says, Emmanuel, God with us, is just the word, Emmanuel. I don't know why the translators didn't put Emmanuel, but whatever the case, there it is, in Hebrew, coming through chapter 7, early chapter 8, a few verses later, in verse 10, the name Emmanuel occurs and stares them in the face, even if he didn't mean it as the name, but meant it as the meaning, because that was the nature of the word, the, the name, was that meaning. God is with us. But it's pointing to the Christ, you know that. But I wanted to think, it's not just golly, what a a rough time to live in the 700s in Palestine, you know. Assyria on the uptick. Things not looking good for anybody. No indoor toilets. No Walmart. No Macy's. Pretty much rice and flatbread and goat for dinner. It's a tough time. We sometimes look back at times when we not to use John W. Peterson's words, but we telescope our way back into history. And it looks to us like the calamities of antiquity, well how could they ever live through it? Well, really, they lived long lives without as much happening, you know, doing stuff. And then a bad thing happened, just like in your life. This be dismayed, this be dismayed, this be dismayed, um, you probably notice it in the news that everybody treats everything like it's another apocalypse. If we don't fix the global warming, if we don't fix the plastic of the oceans, dear heavens, if we don't stop the drug companies from charging too much for an EpiPen, the world is over. Everyone thinks everything's an apocalypse. You know, I don't blame them. I mean, for in their world, it is an apocalypse. It is a, um, a, a, a crushing... It's not the, actually the right word to use. We've used it on apocalypses. End of the world. It just means the veil is lifted. But we feel that these dismaying times are on us all the time. And it doesn't... And everyone, because they're living in perceived dismaying times... They are looking for answers. They're looking for, verse 10, take counsel together, but it will come to naught. Speak a word, but it will not stand. We know it. Everything. You, you ever listen to the weathermen? You know, that you go on to the Weather Channel or what's her name on Fox? Um, Janice Dean. You know, various weathermen. And we look at them, and they tell us the future and we believe them, and they're wrong, again. And within, I mean, within five minutes, it's going to start raining in five minutes, and they might get it right. But we believe, we, we want the answers that are out there. We want knowledgeable talking heads to be standing on, in front of the camera saying some analytical thing of how we're going to solve the, the G20 problem or the, uh, the trade deal with China. Or the tariffs on Mexico, or whatever it is, people are going to make plans. People are always dismayed at other people's plans. People are offering their plans, and the Lord's looking down at it, going, "Yeah, but God is with us." Now, I don't want to make too much of the fact that He tells you to be, you know, be dismayed, make a plan, but it's not going to work because God is with us. But He goes on to talk in this way, verse eleven. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, listen to this, do not call conspiracy what all that this people call conspiracy and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. Now, that's a good warning don't call these things conspiracies, what they call conspiracies, don't fear what they fear, don't live in dread of what they live in dread of. But then it says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Okay, so you have choices of dreads. I think I mentioned before, the the Munro's um, battle cry is Dread God that's Glenda's um, clan always a great one, always better than the guns but uh. but that's what it's advising on, Dread God because if you don't Dread God, the apocalypses of everyone else's dismaying oh, oh my gosh this, oh my gosh that Is going to be the motive force of the planning of your life. You have to fear the right thing. Fear God. Dread, live in dread of Him, and then it says something that you will see quoted in the New Testament. And He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble thereon, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. That's probably why I came across this passage because at Drones we were talking about the nature of offense, and then Davis and I last night at dinner were talking about that and the verse, this is one of the verses I think that somebody mentioned in the discussion um, uh, the stone of offense. Basically, saying that Emmanuel, remember, be dismayed, make a plan, ain't working because Emmanuel, don't fear what the world fears, don't answer it the way the world would answer it. You fear God because this stone of offense. This stone of stumbling. This trap and this snare. That's part of, you know, part of what's going on as the world continues to have conspiracies that they design and dreads and fears they design. The Christ becomes a problem for them like he's an answer for those who fear God. Because look at what he, he offers you in this. He will become a sanctuary that's what the word a, thing, a place you flee to right? we talk about sanctuary cities in America now but this place you flee to the hunchback of Notre Dame uh, played by Lon Chaney I think I forget uh, that might not be right who was the other great Lawton? did he produce the hunchback? he's the one that you would be yelling at? sanctuary um, yeah, well, climbing up Notre Dame's bell towers. If you didn't see the movie, don't bother. We know what it is to have sanctuary. What, what's the game we played when? Um, is it tag or is it capture the flag? You had base or something? It, They couldn't get you if you were at some place. We know what it means. God is, in being our dread and our fear and our holiness, he is going to, if he is that to you, he is sanctuary to you. Because he's speaking of the Christ. Remember, this is a passage coming out of 7 that tells you that Emmanuel, a virgin will conceive and bear a child, and his name shall be called God with us. That is quoted in the New Testament and pointed at Christ. So when you get into chapter 8 and he says, don't fear what the world's about. If they do, the Christ will still come, the Messiah is still present, but he becomes a stone of stumbling because he's not the kind of answer is not the kind of answer that you would craft for your conspiracies and your fears. I was looking at another passage earlier in Luke um, where, where the kingdom of God is like a bunch of little, little snippet one verse uh, parables. It t- talks about the kingdom of God as like uh, a mustard seed or like Leaven. I I briefly, I didn't think I could build a sermon out of it, but I, I was thinking of an illustration of what people do with the information they're given. When we are told not to walk in the way of this people, it is not merely that they see the calamity and are dismayed, that they see the apocalypse and are needing to have a plan. The nature of their plan. Now, I look at the mustard seed, I can't, because I grew up in America and mustard came in a yellow, very bright yellow uh, little bottle. So I I sort of always assumed that mustard was going to be bright yellow, whatever it was, but I don't think mustard seed is, is that correct? Kind of a mid range tan. But imagine for a moment that mustard seed is mustard color. That's how a you know, mustard tree grows to fill the whole earth. So early in Christianity, the mustard uh, tree is growing. Jesus Christ is planted. It. The apostles are watering it. And someone comes along with a bundle of unfinished sticks. He says, I'm going to paint these mustard yellow, and I'm going to start tacking them on. In other words, instead of letting the tree grow, we have a way of doing things. We'll make this bigger, maybe even nicer. Gold is kind of mustard-colored. Let's make it some gold. And pretty soon you had an edifice called the church that isn't what the church is, isn't the growth of the kingdom. It's how people make plans with the concerns they have. If people make plans with the concerns they have, they will stumble over the actual plan they will be snared by the actual plan. They will be trapped by the actual plan because they will not have looked at the actual plan as a sanctuary. And many shall stumble thereon and shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Now that's, I think it's Romans 9. Have A little reference there. Take a look, take a look, take a look. Romans 9, verse... 33 I am laying in Zion a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. He's quoting this image is also out of Isaiah um, 28 not just Isaiah 8 but this image of the stumbling stone of Jesus Christ It is basically, he says, and right before that it says, why? Because he did not pursue it through faith, but as though it were based on works, and I've stumbled over the stumbling stone. Because what, what do people do when they want to get religion answers done in the dismay that they face. we gotta we got to find religion again. I mean, the whole world will start and look for religion. It'll be Buddhism or Hinduism or Mormonism or Christianity, whatever it is. Because we know religion is good. And we know that religion is a matter of people being good to one another for heaven's sake. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone because they... They have looked at the problem. They said, okay, we'll, we'll get this from here. We will tack a few mustard-colored sticks onto the side of this bush, make this bush bigger, make this edifice stronger, more beautiful. But God's saying, no, no, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it. If you feared me, if I was your dread, if I was your sanctuary, you wouldn't be tacking boards up anywhere. Because we do not pursue it by faith, we're going to be snared and taken. Our lives really are going to be awful. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. Verse 16. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Because sometimes when you're looking to the God you dread, when you're seeing the thing that God did, Emmanuel, comes to you and it is an article of faith and an article of sanctuary and an answer to your fear, you're not building some answer to bring God's answers to the world. And you're willing to wait. And remember, 700 B.C., mid-700. Jesus isn't coming for a very long time what was 750 years ago from now? Is it 2000? Do the math. 13, 1250, something like that. Yeah. 1250. Think of somebody in the 1200s going, boy, I know that iPhones are coming, but it's going to be a while. I have prophesied. He has prophesied the, the stumbling stone remarkably there's no doubt that Isaiah has written all of this well before Jesus Christ and he's willing to wait but that's what you when you dread the right article you're not just dreading and dismayed by the calamity in front of you but you are fearing the conspiracies that are defined for you by the world you're fearing God so when God says wait okay, I know who I fear him being my sanctuary rather than be stumbling over him but if I, if I don't view his promises, if I don't view his prophecies correctly I'll start making up uh, answers behold I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs remember Malar Shadar, Hashpaz and Emmanuel, the children he has been given and are portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion and when they say to you, consult the mediums and the wizards who chirp and mutter, I, that's a great image. You, you just imagine some Tim the Magician guy out of Monty Python chirping and muttering. Because that's good for the, the effect. The people look at witch doctors or mediums and they expected to chirp. Consult the mediums and wizards who chirp and mutter. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. Surely for this word which they speak, there is no dawn. Now, that's a great comparison right there. Because when you step into a world full of dismay, let's grant that your outlook is is horrified at what's going on, sociologically, economically, politically, whatever it is. And you're going home each day going, I don't want to watch the news anymore. I don't want to stay up on this. What are we going to do? Heavens to Betsy. God is with us. If I get my fear in the right place, and I turn to him for the answers. Do I know where truth comes from? Is the, it, to the law and to the testimony. What, what did God say? Because if you pick up the word of everyone else, the guys with the mustard colored boards that are tacking on the side of Christianity to make it look better, bigger, grow faster, there's no dawn for them. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their God and turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. How you view this is whether or not Christ is a snare, stumbling, and offense to you? People don't realize, I think Lewis pointed this out, and forget where, that people think they, that Paul brought too much hell into Christianity. It was really Jesus who was talking about hell all the time. And people don't realize when they start reading Jesus Christ how, how offensive he was. Does it bother you what Christ says? Pick a different religion. Run it some other way. Don't pretend with your mustard-colored sticks to be tacking something onto the side of Christianity and it's all the mustard seed growing. It's not. You're making a plan based on your fears, your conspiracies, your understandings. You're not dreading God and you're not to the law and to the testimony. You are making your own ideas up. And there's no dawn for you. And life just gets bad. There is, and this happens to in the body too. This is not merely non-Christians with bad philosophy for life. I was looking at uh, Isaiah 28. Where is it? Ah. Um, When he talks about people who pursue the things of God by line on line, precept on precept. Here a little, there a little. He says, therefore the word of the Lord will be to them, precept on precept, precept upon precept line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. We don't seem to realize that when we make plans according to our idea of what needs to be done, even if it's inside a Christian, you might say, set of definitions, we're still going to look at it and go, did we build this with mustard colored sticks or did God grow his kingdom in us so that our sanctuary we took in him, our dread of him our dwelling in his testimony gave us the answers we needed our willingness to wait for it or not, we have to hurry up and do something we sometimes think we can just memorize enough scripture get people to read their Bibles do the magic I don't, you know, you've heard me say it before, I don't want you to read your Bibles unless you absolutely have to and until then ask yourself why don't I think I need to the thing is to the law, to the testimony but I'm not going to create any program anywhere at any time to get you to do it because you're just awful now those of you who aren't reading your Bibles are just awful You, you got a Bible at home you probably have five now it's not my job to go make you read Make this church look like a, you know, hypocrisy central. and Oh yeah, we're all, we're all up to uh, whatever we're up to at this point. You've got to decide whether or not Jesus Christ to you is a sanctuary or a stone of offense where you're going to make up your own plan and you're going to stumble over it. You're going to make your own plan, you're going to end up in the gloom of anguish and thrust into thick darkness, whether you'll be snared and taken. But there will be no gloom. This is Isaiah 9, the next chapter. There will be no gloom for her that was in anguish. In the former time he brought it in contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation. Thou hast increased its joy. They rejoice before thee as with the joy at the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, thou hast broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What a great image, you know. Hey, we win. Triumph, triumphal marches, burning mark, the, the remnants of the army of the people we defeated. Or it's like the harvest. You know how people are at harvest? We're a big harvest area. This might not appeal to you because, you know, I, I think I mentioned for some of you that I heard something on Facebook. Maybe I mentioned it last week. Some woman posted on Facebook. I was having lunch with a man who was complaining that the quinoa in his salad was not organic. And I remembered that at one time men wore swords. (laughs) Okay, all the Nancy boys of this age might not like it. And women might not like it either. That whole Conan the Barbarian, the greatest thing in life is defeat your enemies to drive them before you. And to hear the lamentations of their women. That's what this is. You know, this is burn their stuff, man. Roll it in their blood and burn it. Take their junk. Dividing the spoil. What could be better? It's like payday. I mean, armies weren't professional in those days. You had to beat somebody and take their stuff. That's what Jesus is like. But it's a metaphor. We're not supposed to make a plan to go gather an army together and lay siege to Pullman, though it deserves it. The judgment. And the first thing we will do when we take Pullman is we will rearrange the streets in a sensible grid pattern. Okay? A bunch of hippies over there. Everything burned with my wheat. This is what the answer of our, our God is like it 's supposed to make you feel these heights of exaltation that maybe you would have to describe it with a different metaphor. maybe it 's like riding your motorcycle at sunset in California. maybe it 's like pick something, but pick well that it 's a rejoicing. That is great, because, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now some of you are hearing Handel going through your mind at a moment like this. This is one of the most remarkable passages of antiquity that he mentions that out of Galilee something is going to happen and a son is going to be born and he's 700 years out who is going to be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father prince of peace. This is the stone of stumbling this is the Emmanuel mentioned earlier That I'm supposed to get things sorted out so that like Simeon or Anna in the temple or Zachariah or Elizabeth they were people who were ready for the preparation of the gospel the preparation of the way of the Lord to meet with an angel to be told that the Messiah was coming and it was this guy here doing what he did, and that people who did not know and learn from Jesus Christ what Jesus Christ was about, they will end up in the distress that everybody else ends up making your own plans in life. And sometimes we'll even use the metaphor to seriously go all church militant on things because... We begin to look at the threats of nations, the conspiracies, the fears, and we say, I can't respond to that conspiracy and fear unless I have the same kind of you know, geopolitical power, enough battalions. Now, I'm fine with battalions. I think everybody should have a few. But just for, just for play, just for a hobby, just for taking over other people's countries. Not because we're trying to solve the world's problems. You can't. Jesus Christ solves our problems, and the world will not dread their God. They will not fear their God. They will not see him as the right thing, and they will be left in distress. So we're going to be faced with distress and apocalypses until we're dead. And then the next generation will get to face some. But we have looked at this son. A child has been given to us who is this thing, and when you know about the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, you know that you have stepped towards him as a sanctuary. You didn't, you didn't look at Jesus Christ and your involvement with Jesus Christ as something to make accidentally dumb ideas up about, that you built a world with your mustard-colored sticks. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You gotta walk away with something like the fear of the Lord. You say, I There's a lot of things to fear. Have I even picked that correctly? There are plans that are being made. Do I go to the law and to the testimony? Do I understand the word of God? Do I find sanctuary in Christ? Or do I find something to stumble over in Christ? The peace of God available to you is whether or not you kneel, because the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end for you to be a part of that. You have got to be kneeling to Jesus Christ. And it's the throne of David. It's wonderful. All these little memories. The Galilee. The mighty God. The throne of David. From this time forth and forevermore. And with Christ, that is our king. I don't have to think about genetics. Jesus never married. Didn't have a kid. Didn't create the dynasty of the Christ family. And some people, like Dan Brown, would wish that he had. There'd be some sort of cult of Teutonic knights who were all descended from Jesus or something. We're not. We're descendants of Jesus. We're followers of Christ. We are the ones who have turned to him for sanctuary because we have faith in the Lord's doing. Faith in the Lord's work. Not our work. You're just going to end up in deep distress and deep anguish The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is planning this. Isaiah is confident of that. He was back in verse 17 of chapter 8. I'll wait for the Lord. Who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. He was confident. Whatever this meant. As a prophet he did not know what he was saying. And about what it was. But he knew that the Lord would deal with it. The Lord would do it. We have to be the people on the other side of it having done it. We recognize the admonitions of Isaiah to let God be our dread and let God be our fear. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Watch over us. Be a sanctuary to us. In your son's name, amen.